I want us to talk this morning about the question of why a manger? Um, last year at this time, we discussed beyond the manger. And, um, you know, a lot of people like to talk about the baby Jesus and, oh, babies are so cute, aren't they? They're so adorable and we just love babies and, and they bring all these warm, sentimental feelings. And, but, you know, babies grow up and it's easy to love the baby Jesus. It's much more difficult to love the grown man Jesus. The baby Jesus didn't put demands on our lives. He didn't call us out on the carpet. He didn't correct us. He didn't call us to a higher standard of living than we had chosen for ourselves. The man Jesus did. He, he questioned our ethics. He challenged our morals. And he corrected our lack of godliness. And so while this day is often looked at by many people as, you know, a great time of celebration, it is great that Jesus came into this world. But as... Um, was just mentioned in, in the prayer. Um, Jesus came to die. The reason we're here today is not because this is December the 25th. We're here today because this is the Lord's Day. And we're here to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God gave us a divine institution by which he wants us to remember Jesus Christ, and we gather together every first day of the week, not once a year, but every first day of the week, to participate in what we did this morning. It helps us to remember what life is about. It puts life into perspective. It reminds us of our own weakness and our own sinfulness, and, and it should indebt us to Jesus because he made it possible for us to be saved. And so that's why we're here today. But I do want to take this time to talk about the birth of Jesus. That's a biblical doctrine. And you know, I can read in Acts chapter 8 when God called Philip away from Samaria to go out to a deserted place to meet a man who was going back to his home in Ethiopia. He was riding in a chariot and he was reading the scriptures and he didn't understand what he was reading. And when Philip reached him, he said, do you understand what you're reading? He heard him reading the scriptures and the man said, how can I except someone guide me? I need some help. And Philip, the Bible says, began at that very same scripture and taught to him Jesus. That's what I want to do today. I know a lot of people today are thinking about the entry of Jesus into this world. There's no indication for us. We don't have a date. God didn't place the importance on that. There's no memorial concerning that. But it was an important event because it led to his death and his resurrection. But since people were thinking about that, I want to begin at that same scripture and preach Jesus today. If you have your Bible, you might want to look at uh, what was just read in Luke chapter 2. We know the story of the, the birth of Jesus he was born of a virgin, Mary. She was, uh, well, in Bethlehem to uh, pay their taxes, basically, uh, to, to participate in a census. And um, there was no room in the inn. And so when it came time for her to give birth, she gave birth to Jesus and laid him in a manger. There are a lot of questions that will always remain unanswered about the Bible. You probably have many. I have many. My curiosity is often greater than 
what God chose to reveal. I, I do know and have full confidence that the things that I need to know, he's revealed to me. But there are a lot of things that I don't need to know. I just am curious about it, but God doesn't answer all those questions. And, and uh, I suppose that might fall in the realm of the question today. But I do think that while there may be some things that God hasn't specifically answered, there are principles that do touch on the questions that we sometimes raise. And so here's the question. Why a manger? Why a manger? This is, the, this is one of the greatest events of history. This is an event from which we measure time in this world. Our, our date is set by the entry of Jesus into this world. It is a line of demarcation. I mean, the, this is... Why, though, come in like he did to a manger? Why not in some other fashion that is a little more noble, that is a little more um, lofty? Why a manger? Well, I don't know that the Bible specifically answers that question, but I think there are some principles that may help us uh, to answer that question and, in turn, make application for our life today. So I'd like to go about trying to answer that question. Why manger? Well, consider, first of all, that Jesus is the only person who ever entered this world. We've talked about this before. He's the only person that ever entered this world that had a choice of where and when and to whom and how he entered the world. Jesus is God. He's the one who created the world. He was there before there was a world. And he, by commission of the Father, created the world, Hebrews 1, John 1, Philippians 1, Colossians 1. Um, But when he came into this world, he came in choosing to come in in the first century. He chose to come into Mary and Joseph. He chose to come in at a time and a place where there was no room in an inn that he had to be laid in a manger. He chose to come in as a baby. I mean, could he not have come in as a full-grown man, just swooped in as king of kings and just made his appearance? Why come in as an infant? Well, number one, I think, is humility. I think one of the reasons that there is a manger is because Jesus was expressing from the time of his birth Humility. If you have your Bible, you might want to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. In that passage, we're told to let this mind be in us, which was, in also, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it says that he didn't think it was robbery or something to grasp a hold of to be equal to God. You know, if, if you had a million dollars in your hands or in your purse, and you were walking through a crowded thing, you, uh, a crowded, uh, you know, parking lot or something, or a fair, or, you know, where there's just people milling everywhere, when uh, you would probably hold on to that bag really tight, or you might put that purse and kind of put it under your elbow and hold that elbow in tight, because you don't want somebody running off of that kind of money. You would hold tightly onto that much value, Jesus, the text says, did not think it was robbery or a thing to grasp. 
being, an equal, being equal with God, the Father. Instead, he was able to just let his hands loose and let go of it and become a man and live as a man and die as a man, not just die as a man, but die even the death of the cross. When you think about what all that entailed, to know up front before I ever came to this world, this is the way I'm going to leave this world, I might think twice about coming. That's a terrible death. But Jesus knew that was in his future, but he came anyway. It's hard to grasp that the God of heaven, the God who made it all, would come to this earth and come in as an infant in a manger. And that's where he would begin. That tells me something about the God I serve. God, Jesus, was humble. He didn't have to have people um, surrounding him, building him up, telling him how great he was. He didn't have to prove anything to anybody. He was willing to be lowly. Listen, folks, if we want to go to heaven, we need to be like Jesus. Humility is a prerequisite to going to heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have to be humble if you want to go to heaven. Uh, if, you're, if you're proud, God will put you in your place. If you're humble, He'll lift you up. James chapter 4 and verse 10. Jesus tries to teach us this lesson from the moment He entered this world. He said, I'll teach them. This humility thing is necessary. If men are to be saved, they must be humble and I'll teach him a lesson on humility right from the get-go. I'll come into this world as an infant, a helpless infant that is born in a manger. He taught the lesson well, humility. But I can see another reason for a manger, and that is dependence. Think about the dependency of Jesus. You know, when we think of God and Jesus, we think uh, they have no needs. They don't need anything. They can do everything. They, they, they're independent of anybody. They're, they're all powerful. But Jesus chose to forego that. He let loose of it and became as helpless as one can be. How much more helpless can one be than an infant? They are absolutely dependent on someone else for everything. They can't even eat. They can't eat. They, their, their mobility, everything about them, their warmth, they, they can't dress themselves. They can't eat. They can't uh, keep warm and put a blanket on. Everything about an infant is dependent on somebody else taking care of them. Jesus chose that for himself. He came into this world and he chose to be dependent. He could have come in, like I said, just swooped in as a full-grown adult, looking majestically with his robe and crown and barking commands and orders to people, having an army of angels behind him to do his bidding. That's not how Jesus came into the world. He chose a manger to show his humility and to show his willingness to be dependent on... Jesus is not going to ask us to do what he himself would not be willing to do. You know what the Bible says about disciples? 
If you want to go to heaven, you have to deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow Jesus. You have to cast all your cares and burdens upon him, for he cares for you. You don't do it yourself. You have to let go the steering wheel and say, Lord, it's yours. You can't have control of your life anymore. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that we have been bought with a price, therefore we're no longer our own self. We don't belong to ourselves. We've been purchased and now we belong to him and we must use our lives to bring glory to him. We're dependent on God for our blessing. I I depend on him for my life, for my breath, for my health, for my mind, all those things. We have to go through life knowing that I can't do it myself. I have to go through life saying, as a person, I'm a failure. I, I, I can't get to heaven. I, I can't finish the what was intended by God to be finished, but I can't do it myself because I've messed it up royally. And, and I'm going to have to depend on someone else to help me get to the end. I need a Savior. Derek Redmond, back in the Olympics, I think it was actually in the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, I can't remember, but he was expected to win the gold medal, and he was running in his race, and he tore a hamstring in his race, fell, crumpled, rolled, you know, just think about running so fast and falling on that track, and everybody passed him by, and he, anyway, got up, and he tried to finish. He wasn't going to just quit, and so he began to hobble. He could barely walk. And then all of a sudden, a man came flying down, jumped over the banner or over the side there and ran out to him, threw his arm around him and and took him by, by his shoulder. It was Derek's father. And he helped his son to the finish line. And they finished together. He didn't win a gold medal, but he finished the race. And you see... I can't finish the race by myself because I'm a failure. I need help. I'm dependent on someone else. And so I have to go through life acknowledging dependence. And I think Jesus said, I'll do that too. I'll join you in that. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that he sympathizes with us and is in all ways tempted like as we are yet without sin. So maybe there's a degree of dependence that is shown by Jesus as he comes into the world in this fashion. I, too, know what it means to be dependent. And then the third reason is just that of sympathy. I mentioned that passage in Hebrews chapter 4. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us. He knows what it means to be human. I don't believe that God had to become flesh to be human and to understand. He created us. He made us. He knows all of our intricacies. But I think by becoming flesh, he showed us that he does know what he's talking about. And he knows everything about being human. Jesus, there's no greater act of sympathy than that of leaving heaven and coming to the earth and taking upon himself flesh. And living like a man. Now, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 7, or chapter 3, verse 17, in that passage it says, Let's, you know, there's a guy who sees his brother in need 
and he shuts up his heart to that brother? Love of God is not in him. How can a man see another man in need and do nothing and yet turn around and say, the love of God, I'm just filled with the love of God? He can't. How could Jesus sit in heaven and see the desperate need of mankind and do nothing and have the love of God in him? He couldn't. And so he left heaven. He gave up all that was there, being on a position with equal with God. And he came to this earth to meet man's greatest need, to die for us. And that's sympathy. Jesus looked at our lives and he was touched by our weakness, by our failures, by our destiny. And he said, I've got to do something about this. And he left heaven. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died as a sacrifice that makes atonement for our sins so that we can be forgiven and we can go back where God intended us to go, back into fellowship with him ultimately forever in heaven. Those are three reasons why a manger, I think, that will help me. You see, Jesus began from the very beginning. He began teaching before he could even speak. He began teaching before he could even walk. Before he could even say, Mama. He taught humility. He taught dependence. And he taught sympathy. But let me ask one more question and then the lesson will be yours. What about this question? Why then and there? Have you ever asked that? I mean, of all the places and of all the times that Jesus could have come into the world, why then and there? If it were me, knowing what I know, my limited you know, abilities, Uh, you know, if I were thinking, okay, well, I've got to go to this place and I've got to live there for a certain set of time, and uh, how would I choose? Well, I wouldn't choose a time when there weren't cars. I mean, I want a car. I don't want to walk everywhere. I wouldn't choose a time when there wasn't air conditioning and running water. I wouldn't choose a time when there weren't smartphones you know, I like that stuff. Man, those things make life easy Er, um, sometimes. But Jesus came into the world in the first century in Palestine to Mary and Joseph, not to King so-and-so, to just a carpenter and his soon-to-be wife. He came into the world when there was no plumbing and, and the, the, there was no air conditioning. There was no convenient means of travel and transportation. Why? Why all that? Well, let me just, and again, this is not a thing that uh, the Bible tells us, but here are some thoughts on that that maybe will spur some study on your own. But one reason might be is that during this time, the Jews were scattered They were scattered throughout the world. The Babylonian captivity that occurred uh, back in 722 B.C., 721 B.C., that took Jews out of Judea and spread them throughout the world. They took their religion with them. They took their hope and their looking forward to a coming Messiah with them. And so as they scattered throughout the world, they took and taught the message of a coming Savior, Messiah, to the world. I wonder if that had something to do with it. 
Also, during that time, there was another thing that you might consider and uh, uh, concerning the Word of God, the Septuagint. In 250 B.C., the Old Testament Scriptures, which were written in Hebrew, were translated into the Greek language. So now it's not just those who speak Hebrew who know, but now those who speak Greek, and Greek was the language that the world spoke. Now they can know the Word of God and read it for themselves. So there was probably never a time up until that point where people could be more acquainted with the Word of God than they were at that time. And then there was also the rise of the synagogue. You know, during um, the Old Testament, you'll not read anything about synagogues, people going to the synagogue in the Old Testament. You don't read of any of that until you get to the New Testament. That was a practice in the New Testament time. Actually, it began during that intertestamental period where people decided, you know what we need to do? We need to start building some places where we can have these holy convocations, where we can have these holy assemblies and meet together and talk about the Word of God. And so Jews, as they were scattered throughout the world, began to build these places where they would come and worship together and study together. And Gentiles were invited too, and they heard and learned more about the coming Savior. All of those things, I think, factor in. Like I said, I don't know that the Bible gives us, this is why it's the time, but I do know this, it was. And these are some conditions that existed at that time that I think would be favorable who was coming at that time. You see, there was nothing about the coming of Jesus that had anything to do with convenience. It was all about what's best for man. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, the Bible tells us that it was in the fullness of time that Jesus, being born of a woman, would come into this world. It was when it was just right God sent His Son I don't know for sure all the factors, but these may be some. And I do know, again, that the reason he came wasn't about personal convenience, but Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28 says this is why he came. He came to die as a ransom. He came to be a servant, not to be served, and to die as a ransom for all. And that's what he accomplished. And so when I look back to the question, why a manger? Why would that be the way that the Son of God would enter into this world? Why a manger? The answer that I have to that question is that Jesus, from the time of his birth to the death of his, uh, to his death on the cross, he taught. He never stopped teaching. He taught us to his last breath. And he taught us before he could even speak about some important qualities that we need to incorporate in our lives if we ourselves want to go to heaven. I'm glad that Jesus came as a lowly infant to lowly parents born in a rather lowly way in a manger. Because if he hadn't, and if he had chosen to come into this world with the splendor and the grandeur of King of kings and his entourage of angels that stood by his side to take care of his every whim. I don't know that I could identify with him nearly as well. 
I would be questioning, what does he know about my plight? I don't have to worry about that. Because he knows everything about my plight. He's been there and he's done it. Folks, today a lot of people are thinking about the entry of Jesus, his incarnation into this world. And it's a good thing to think about. Because without it, we would have no man to die on the cross to pay for my sins. But I want you, as we bring this lesson to a close, I want you to think beyond the manger. Cute baby Jesus, who can't love him? But folks, Jesus grew up. And he placed demands on your life. He challenges your morals and your ethics. And he says to you, discipleship is costly. You're going to have to deny yourself, take up a cross, and follow me. But if you want to go to heaven, that's what you need to do. Don't just love and adore the baby Jesus. You need to fall in love with the Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that this morning. We'll assist you in that. And if you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need to start afresh, start anew, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.